Hello, this is Ian Wolf, producer of Diffusion Science Radio. You can now support Diffusion through the Patreon support page at patreon.com slash diffusionradio. Send me a message about the supporter rewards you'd like to receive. Or make a donation directly with the PayPal button or click on an Amazon affiliate link at www.diffusionradio.com. The International Science Radio Show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. <laughs> the good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we inject weird and wonderful science directly into your brain. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this edition, part two of how to slow aging in women with Dr. Judy Ford. And solar racing with Sunswift. But first up, here's the news. Scientific research in Australia has become a political playground. Here's the latest players and the state of play. Government-funded research is essentially all there is. Wealth in Australia was generated mainly by digging up minerals and exporting them to be made into goods overseas, which are then imported back into Australia at vastly higher prices. Mining companies see no need to do scientific research, only technological development. New tech companies are all focused on getting a new product or service out the door, so they can't afford to do basic scientific research either. Much environmental and climate research done in Australia is about Australia, so we can't rely on other nations to have done the research for us. The CSIRO is Australia's internationally respected organisation for doing Australian-specific and globally important scientific research. It has also done the fundamental research necessary to support Australian industrial research and development since it was the Advisory Council for Science and Industry back in 1916. It's been extremely successful. This week on ABC's Q&A TV show, Science Minister Christopher Pine was asked a question by a high school student. Uh, last year as Education Minister, you said STEM subjects such as maths and science are vital for our future and uh, should be compulsory for senior students. Um, at the same time, your government slashed the funding for the CSIRO and as a result, uh, important jobs there are going, uh, including ones in climate change. Um, what's there for students to aspire to when they're encouraged to study science while a body as successful as the CSIRO is being decimated? Uh, why should we think science and innovation is important if you don't? Well, April, with great respect, a couple of facts I need to um, fix. There are no net job cuts at the CSIRO. That's not factually true. There are 275 jobs going in one division of the CSIRO and 350 new jobs being opened up in another division of the CSIRO. The CSIRO annual report 2014-15 to lists a headcount for 2013 and another for 2015 that shows that since the Liberal National Party won the 2013 election, 1,208 jobs have been cut from the CSIRO. That's over 20% of jobs gone before 2016 is over. In 2013, 
CSIRO and the Science Minister put a job freeze on, which meant that nobody knew could be hired what temporary contracts expired. This reduced the staff without explicitly firing anybody. They just failed to renew the contracts. The Liberal National Government appointed venture capitalist Dr Larry Marshall to the position of Chief Executive of the Commonwealth Scientific and Industrial Research Organisation. Since taking the role of Chief Executive, Dr Marshall has made pronouncements about how CSIRO should spend time and money investigating water divining. He's recently appeared before a Senate committee after the CSIRO staff union took the unheard of step of going over his head to appeal to the Senate for help, with accusations of mismanagement, workplace bullying and intentions to break CSIRO's charter by ending all public good science, and replacing it with development for cash. If it doesn't pay, it doesn't stay. These intentions were confirmed by emails obtained by the Senate committee under freedom of information requests. The emails repeat the Liberal National Party's election mantra of jobs and growth, which suggests that Marshall is strictly following the Liberal government's ideology and direction. At a recent Senate hearing, he had this to say. We're not doing the research um, out of curiosity. We're not doing the science, um, you know, for, for entertainment reasons. We're doing it because we have a mission. Um, we have an objective um, to deliver value. So the idea of these three questions, really, of what we pose, who's the customer, why do they care about what we're doing, and what value are we delivering? Larry Marshall has a CSIRO using data analysis to work out how Coca-Cola can make more money from its vending machines by more accurately predicting which drinks to restock the machines. Dr Marshall's contract has just been renewed until 2019. Internationally esteemed ocean scientist John Church told the Senate hearing that the global reputation of the CSIRO has been trashed by announced cuts to climate research. He said the CSIRO would no longer be able to recruit many of the top climate scientists because its reputation is so badly damaged. He has grave doubts about the future of public good in CSIRO and he really thinks that we've got to the stage where at least for climate research they need a new model to carry into the future. Soon afterwards, Dr Church got his marching papers after 38 years of climate change research at CSIRO, often working with international organisations such as NASA. He was notified by phone while he was on a research ship halfway to Antarctica. The research ship that is carrying him on his last project for CSIRO will be rented out to BP for oil exploration. From measuring global warming to creating global warming. But hey, it's an election year. Are the opposition Labour Party any better? The answer is no and yes. When they were in government, it was leaked that they planned a $400 million cut to the National Health and Medical Research Council. This got medical scientists out in the streets protesting. I interviewed a whole bunch of them in 2011. In response to the public outcry, Labor did not go ahead with the leaked cuts and ended up increasing medical research funding instead. During the Labor government 2010 to 2013, 43 jobs were removed from the CSIRO. In this election, Labor are promising to investigate CSIRO management, but as yet, not to definitely restore the 1,208 jobs cut. 
The Greens party have promised to reverse the CSIRO cuts completely, but they're unlikely to have the numbers to force the issue. As for the science policies of the smaller parties competing in the election, I hope to speak to them on the show in the coming weeks. It's curious that currently only three parties have a space policy. The Pirate Party, the Science Party and the Arts Party. You're listening to Ian Wolfe on Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. And now, part two of my interview with Dr Judy Ford about her research into the biology of ageing. I asked her about the activation of gene P53 when telomeres get very short in women around age 37. That's sort of, you know, one mechanism that is clearly there. And I think that it is a major, the reason it has evolved is as a major protection against cancer. Because if you reverse that, if you just deliberately try to reverse it, you will stimulate the growth of cells that have shorter telomeres and then you'll get into real trouble because if you have cells dividing with short telomeres they get what we call sticky ends and then then they will stick to other chromosomes at their ends and there'll be all sorts of translocations and rearrangements of genetic material which is the cause or a major part of the initiation of many cancers and the progression of cancers. So the P53 gene is known to be sort of the major gene regulating whether a cell is normal or whether it becomes cancerous and the P53 gene is eliminated or modified in almost every cancer. So it has this very important role to play and we certainly don't want any cells that have short telomeres to start dividing again. Now, there are people who are doing things to increase, <laughs> use drugs to increase the length of their telomeres. I don't know whether that's a good idea or not. I, <clears throat> I just don't really know whether the telomere is there because the cell is aging in other ways and, and needs to be protected or whether, whether a cell could go on forever provided it has normal telomeres. I don't know the answer. <laughs> don't know the answer to that but yeah so so it is all interesting and so we do know that the cells around the eggs do get shorter telomeres so so that could be also a, a mechanism that is happening within the follicle as well as the DHEA related mechanism that is you know relating to this feedback as well. So there may be more than one mechanism operating simultaneously to control this this aging phenomenon. Mm. And you mentioned evening primrose oil. I did mention evening primrose oil, yes. Okay, so, so look at the fats and say this is what's happening in our whole body. Forget about the reproductive system <laughs> for the moment and, and look at our whole body and, and 
Although the change for men might not be quite as dramatic because if, if a lot of that age is actually being driven by the follicle number and the follicle number getting to a critical point and the inhibin driving this extra system, we will have the other ageing system, the telomere length thing, happening anyhow in males. So, so there's going to be this, the ageing might be more consistent rather than rather than having this sort of abrupt change as in females, not, not quite sure about that. I mean certainly we know that men's fertility drops around the same sort of age and so although potentially some very old men can sire babies, I think one has to be a bit suspicious of that because we, we certainly know that older fathers do have reduced fertility. Anyhow. We're talking about evening primrose oil. Okay, so when you look at the fats, the omega-9 group, when it's reduced, you get low in oleic acid. And so it really is important to have lots of olive oil as, as a source of oleic acid. In the omega-3-6 pathway, it is a good idea to have quite a lot of fish, but probably probably dangerous to take too much fish oil because if you have too much fish oil you can actually switch off some of the omega-6 functions that have to do with immunity and so they they're sort of finding that that some people develop immune related problems if they have too much fish oil so I actually think that probably eating fish three three times a week, three or four times a week, maybe better than actually taking fish oil. But anyhow, but we do need some fish or fish oil. But in the omega-6 pathway, there, there is this bit in the middle, <laughs> the middle of the pathway, and that produces something called gamma-linoleic acid. And gamma-linoleic acid is really important for the health of the endothelial cells, which are the cells that line our arteries and veins, but our arteries. And we really need to have very healthy endothelial cells, and that depends on having sufficient gamma-linoleic acid. So that's not really available to us in most of our foods and there are two sort of herbs that produce it. One is borage and the other is evening primrose. So borage oil and evening primrose oil are rich sources of this GLA or gamma-linoleic acid. And you can get borage oil from the internet but in evening primrose oil is more readily available and so it only has about half the dose as borage oil but you probably need to take more of it. So what I'd like to say is that I really think that it's, it would be important, it's important that we get people who are studying ageing to start looking at, at a younger age group. So people tend to start thinking about ageing and ageing studies from 50 onwards. So there's very little data about people in this sort of 30 to 40 age group where actually a lot of the 
age-related changes are really starting. So I'd like to see people when they're testing things to actually take age into consideration so that it's not just done at all age groups because I don't think that you can give the same advice to a young child as a teenager to you know as an older person I think you have to take age into consideration because people's metabolism is quite different and probably therefore their metabolic needs are quite different the only other thing we found in our own studies the only thing that is known to expand reproduction is taking the contraceptive pill for a long time. But I'm not sure whether taking the low dose pills works as well as the higher dose pills used to work in the oh. old days. In a study we did in the early 1990s, we discovered that women who had been taking the oral contraceptive pill for a long time had increased good lifespan of their reproductive system so they had a lower risk of having a miscarriage as they aged and other people have found this to be true in their studies as well but I am not sure whether the lower dose pills that are being prescribed these days have the same effect as the earlier pills which were very much stronger and probably shut down reproduction more efficiently. And if people want to find your work online, is there a web page they can visit? There is. I have a website which is called ez-fertility.com.au. There is a book on it called Reproducing After 30, which needs to be rewritten and loaded up, and I should do that very quickly. If students at high school want to enter your profession, what do you recommend they study? Okay, so what is my profession? You see, this <laughs> is, if you want to be a geneticist, and you know, these days, of course, a lot of people call themselves geneticists who don't really know much genetics. They know a lot of biochemistry, and they do, you know, they do gene studies and DNA studies, and they probably don't know as much genetics. But I would like to think that they, yes, yeah, really just basic STEM really, it's really chemistry, they probably don't need physics for it. So it's basically chemistry, maths and biology. And should they do a medical degree or should they do a biology? I think that they, <laughs> I, I've been known to give public lectures where I've said medical students are rote learners, <laughs> not thinkers. <laughs> Don't do medicine if you're a thinker. Look, really, I think, you know, there, there, there are, it's, it's really a good question because there's no doubt that, that people who do medicine and then go into a research career afterwards, they get a lot of advantages. It, it, I think scientists are really disadvantaged by not being a profession as such. Uh, when the first person who told me, who said that to me, I thought, why is she saying that, you know, and, and I, I've realized that because we're not actually a profession, we're very disadvantaged in lots of ways. So, you know, we can't just set up a service and charge for it as easily as people in all those other professions. 
And, you know, scientists are, are thinkers, scientists are innovators, and medical people are not, on the whole, such good thinkers. There are some thinkers amongst them, but as a whole, you know, I think it's fair to say they are rote learners. It is really an applied field. Personal view. <laughs> well, Judy Ford, thank you very much. That was part two of Dr Judy Ford from the University of South Australia talking about how to slow ageing in women. And finally, Will Green is the public safety officer at the Sunswift Solar Racing Car Team. I spoke to him at the CBIT Computer Fair. I began by asking him, what has Sunswift been up to in the last 12 months? So we went on a race last year, the WSC, which is the World Solar Challenge. So we go from Darwin to Adelaide. It's a six to seven day race, quite a few thousand kilometers. And we race our car using the solar technology and we have only one recharge stop in the middle at Alice Springs. Looking at the car here, this looks quite bulky and very much like a roadworthy car compared to what the solar racing cars used to be in the past. Yeah, so what we've tried to do with our design here is we're trying to get a more practical design. We want something people want to drive. We, we really want people to look at our car and say, wow, I can see myself in this. So what we've done is we've made our big focus on practicality. So we've got two, two seaters where before they were just what we called cockroach cars. So very low to the ground, just speed. This is a two seater, it looks more like a sports car. We've got, yeah, a very sleek look. It's bigger, but it's more practical. It looks like it could survive a crash. Yeah, that's another thing we've been looking at trying to get it road legal for about a year now, where we're still stuck in government paperwork, but we've put in all the ADR, uh, Australian drive regulations, which uh, we've got airbags, we've got yeah a lot of safety um, bulkheads in there to make sure we can withstand a crash from you know, all these directions. We've got all our lighting, we've got everything fitted. We're just trying to get past some of the paperwork now. In lots of ways, it looks like a regular car body, but obviously it can't be as heavy as a real car body. So what is it made of? What's the shell of the car? The shell is made of carbon fibre. We got this made in New Zealand by Core Builders. It took about a week. We sent a few of our team members over to do that. And yeah, it's very light, only weighs 450 kilograms. How many solar cells and how much power do they generate in full sun? 850 watts peak. 850 watts, and how much is the battery store? Battery stores 16 kilowatt hours. So what sort of speeds and for how long can the car go when it's sunny? So we have a range of 500 on just the battery, 500 kilometers, uh, with solar cells, 800 kilometers. How long does it take to charge up the cells fully? 20 hours to charge up the, cells for the battery fully, off solar. Would you have to leave your car out all day to drive it the next day? Yeah, if you're only going to do 100 kilometres a day, you could charge it during the day and you'd be fine. So for like a town car, you're pretty much already there? Yeah, I guess. What, what we're trying to do here is we're just trying to showcase the technology, really. It's not nowhere close to being a, a, wide, a worldwide product yet. Uh, solar technology is way too expensive at the moment. We're just trying to show what solar cars can do and show it off to the world. Do you have any partners with electric car companies like Tesla? We have a lot of partnerships. In terms of car companies, no, not specifically. More, in, more material companies. So we get, as I said before, we get our carbon shell sponsored by Core Builders. We get our solar cells sponsored from SunPower. 
And we, we try to use some of UNSW's patent technology as well, because we're under them. They, they let us exist, so we, we want to use as much of their stuff as we can. Well, UNSW are doing amazing research in new types of solar cells. So the solar cells you've got, what sort are they? So they're silicon cells and they're about 23% efficient, a bit a tad over. They're, these cells are about four years old, so their current cells are a little bit more efficient than that for sure. These silicon oh, peaks out at maybe 35% efficiency, like theoretically you couldn't get any better than that. But there are different kinds of cells, gallium arsenide, that they can get much higher. But we don't use those because WSC regulations specify you either use six square meters of silicon cells or only three of gallium arsenide. What about things like printable solar cells? Printable solar cells? No, we haven't looked into that. Well, we're, we're looking to, at building a new car for next year, next WSC in 2017. This car is going to be similar, but in, in terms that we want to we make it practical, we want people to want to drive it, but we want to make it more so than this car. We're trying to get four seats instead of two. We're trying to get a more comfortable interior. We're trying to get air conditioning. We're trying to get a really like a comfortable just interior in general. Yeah, that's it. That's, how, that's where we're trying to go in the next year. And if people want to look online for SunSwift, where do they look? Just go to sunswift.com and we'll be there. Or type SunSwift in Google. Will Green, thank you very much. Thank you. That was Will Green from the SunSwift Solar Racing Team. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Would you like to join us? We need more people contributing stories to Diffusion. You can send your contributions, opinions, congratulations, helpful suggestions and donations to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. And please do send me an email so I know you're listening and would like to hear more episodes. Please like the Diffusion Science Radio page on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Tell your friends. Follow me on Twitter at Ian Wolf. Check out the Patreon page at patreon.com slash diffusionradio. Checking production was Charles Willock. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia on the Community Radio Network, including 8 C in Alice Springs and Tennant Creek, 2MVR in Nambucca Valley and 3MBR in the Mallee Border Districts of Victoria and South Australia. Diffusion is syndicated globally on the National Science Foundation's Science360 internet radio station and also on astronomy.fm. Subscribe to our podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com and check the website for links, photos and videos about this week's show. If you enjoyed the show, then you can explore more than 700 previous episodes archived on diffusionradio.com, where the shows are labelled by keywords so you can focus in on the stories you want to hear. Subscribe to the Diffusion YouTube channel at youtube.com slash c slash diffusionradio. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. Science is fun. It helps you to learn, to know, and to appreciate. When you study science, you may go on field trips. You discover the marvelous interrelationships between all living things. You learn to read the history of the Earth as it is written in rocks and fossils. You find out what makes things tick. Everything from a molecule to a living organism. In the study of science is found the most useful and satisfying knowledge of man. 
knowledge of his physical world, its past, its present, and its future. And in your moments of relaxation, now and in the years to come, you will find the study of science leading you into fascinating pursuits. Photography. Collecting. Why study science? Study science because you will find in the study of science a richer, more rewarding life.